Hello and welcome to another episode of The Voice for American Law Enforcement. I'm your host, Randy Sutton, a 34-year police veteran, retired lieutenant from the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, the author of A Cop's Life and the founder of The Wounded Blue, the national assistance and support organization for injured and disabled law enforcement officers. We're going to talk about a whole bunch of topics, but I'm going to introduce to you my favorite co-host, uh, she is a legendary law enforcement trainer. She is the spokesperson for the National Police Association. She is a retired sergeant, and she is also a member of the board of directors of the Wounded Blue. Uh, let me thank Betsy Smith once again for joining me here as my co-host on The Voice for American Law Enforcement. Welcome, Betsy. Thanks, Randy. I am excited to be here, excited to talk about what's happening in law enforcement, and also excited to be a new part of the Wounded Blue. It's fantastic. We got we got much to talk about. Well, let's let's start with the war on cops, uh, because it seems, Betsy, that this is becoming more of a shooting war every single day. Uh, in one 24-hour period, we had 13 police officers shot or hit by gunfire injured by gunfire. Um, in addition, let's look at uh, the last two weeks. I think we are over 20, 20 law enforcement officers who have been uh, seriously injured in the line of duty, either by gunfire. Uh, one was attacked with a hatchet and, and chopped in the face with a, with a hatchet. Um, another was run over by a motorcycle. Another was dragged by a car. I mean, it doesn't seem like, like there is any uh, any slowdown of the war on cops? Well, and it seems like there's this propensity for people to go on the attack whenever they encounter law enforcement. You know, Randy, back when you and I were young cops, you know, of course there were people who attacked us, people who shot us. Um, but a lot of even the baddest of the bad guys didn't attack police officers. There was, there was a bit of a code. And that's gone. And there's so many reasons for that, of course, largely because of the false narrative that somehow American law enforcement officers are a danger to our communities. It's turning out that it's quite the other way around. And, you know, we've seen the last year, I believe we set a record for ambushes of ambush shootings of law enforcement officers. That's a bad trend. That's a bad trend. And we're seeing it again um, so far, we're, we're only in February, and we've seen ambush shootings of officers uh, continuing on the uptick. You know, we, off camera, we were talking about this, this the Philadelphia, uh, excuse me, not Philadelphia, Phoenix shooting, where nine officers were hit by either solid gunfire or by ricochets and, and uh, uh you know, shrapnel. and shrapnel. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that word. So let's talk about that one, because that's a fascinating, you know, the, the, the jury is still out on whether whether these officers were lured into the rescue attempt. But let's go ahead. And I know you have some some additional information about this, uh, this shooting. Well, Phoenix Police Department here in Arizona goes to a shots fired slash kind of domestic call. And uh, they get there, and there is lots of commotion. It looks like it might turn into a hostage situation. There, a man comes out with a baby in a baby carrier, and then the police are able to get him to come all the way out 
put down the baby and the baby was safe. And that man comes, they get him to come toward them to surrender. And as the police officers attempt to rescue the baby, a second man that turns out to be the first guy's brother starts firing on Phoenix police officers. And five of them were hit with gunfire, four more injured by ricochet or shrapnel. And we end up in this, not just a shootout, but kind of a, a bit of a, a barricade situation. They're finally able to stop him. And unfortunately in the house, they find that he had already murdered uh, the baby's mother, his girlfriend or his wife. And, and the, the, you know, this is a horrific situation that uh, lots of cops have had to deal with, but we don't usually have nine of them badly injured on one scene. And the thing is, when we're talking about Phoenix, Arizona, the largest city in Arizona, they are terribly shorthanded, Randy, as are a lot of our urban cities all around the United States. Because even here in Arizona, we have police officers who are saying, you know what, I'm going to do my 20 and out, or I'm just going to leave the profession because of this vilification of cops. And because that fear that when they just do their job, they might get fired or worse, get indicted and go to prison. It's just got to stop. And these officers who, who literally uh, put their lives on the line to try and save this baby, um, I think it shows, I think it illustrates, if you will, uh, what I call the culture of courage within law enforcement. I mean, think of, the, think of the selflessness that these officers displayed when they braved the gunfire and tried to do everything they could to save the baby, which they eventually did. I think from an account that I read, uh, they eventually used um, ballistic shields to effect the rescue. Um, thank God that we, you know, that we now have the technology to, to have those at scenes. But I, I just think that, that the, the American public really needs to know the amazing bravery that these men and women show every single day um, as, they, as they go about their duties. Absolutely. And this story repeats itself all around the nation. You know, as we know, every single day, police officers are doing incredibly heroic things without a lot of thought to their own safety. And, and you know what? We find that the National Police Association, we're constantly doing polling. And, and, and in much of our polling, what we're told by, and you know, we poll likely voters with the Rasmussen Report. And most people appreciate law enforcement. Most people care about our safety. It's just the chattering classes of the small minority of cop haters, you know, whether it's politicians or activists or whatever. And of course, our legacy media, the mainstream media, who wants to talk about, again, us being the problem. But I think most of our citizens really appreciate us and our polling says that. But here's what we need our citizens to do. And I encourage anyone who supports law enforcement listening to this or watching it. We need you to be loud about supporting us, loud and proud about how you care about us and how you need us to keep you safe because we're in the middle of one of the biggest crime waves in our lifetime, Randy, and we're trying to keep people safe. 
but we need our people to stand up and support us. You're you're absolutely right. And I, I the way I've been kind of pursuing this line of thought is um, the silent majority needs to break the silence. Uh, it's it's time yeah. to stand up for the men and women who are standing up for you. And the the reality is that you know last year we lost. Um, over 500 American law enforcement officers in line of duty deaths. The, uh, the, the attacks, uh, more than 60,000 law enforcement officers were physically assaulted last year. That's an astounding number. And, and I don't yeah. think that, that mainstream America understands the scope of this issue. But you, I mean, we know now what the what the causes are, and there's there's a myriad of causes. Um, you have district attorneys who who refuse to prosecute for any number of crimes, and so therefore there's no consequences for criminal activity. Um, you have absolutely. A, you have an environment where the the political left seems to just suck the air out of the room when it comes down to their agenda. And their agenda has nothing to do with the public safety. It, it is all anti-law enforcement oriented. You know, you brought up it. You know, it isn't police reform. I love that, that word. They use that word, like they throw it around like, like candy. It's, it, it isn't police reform. It's revenge. It's revenge against right. the police for, for the yeah, for this it, nonsensical... Um, uh, idea that, that the police have this huge racist conspiracy. It's it, and, and this is, this is all part of the problem, all part of the war on yeah. cops. Absolutely. And you know, as, as Sheriff David Clark is fond of saying, we don't need police reform. We need criminal reform. And, uh, and that's why the national police association our most recent poll with Rasmussen, we asked people about the uh, progressive district attorneys, you know, what kind of causation is that having on this crime spree that they have? And listen to these numbers. Nearly 70% of people said progressive prosecutors who won't charge for resisting arrest is making our job, law enforcement's job, more dangerous. Most of the, our, our uh, poll respondents said that if progressive prosecutors won't use laws like three strikes, that felons are going to continue to committing crime. We're seeing that on the street, right? Streets, right? Seventy percent said that prosecutors who will not charge gang members when they're engaged in shootouts are not making our streets safer. I think that was a, a direct uh, little slap to Kim Fox in Cook County, Illinois. And this this poll just talks about so many things that people are onto when it comes to these progressive pro-criminal anti-cop anti-citizen progressive prosecutors and and we love it because what we're hearing is people care about our safety and they're on to this progressivism that is causing us to get hurt and it's causing our citizens to sometimes get hurt get murdered get burglarized and causing their cities like, hello, San Francisco, Chicago, New York, we could go on and on and on, go downhill. Because the, and what people need to understand is we can arrest every bad guy on the planet, but if there's not a prosecutor to take that case to court, 
nothing happens to the bad guy. And like you said, the silent, silent majority needs to stand up. And our poll results says, say this. They're standing up saying, nope, we need the prosecutors to back our cops because our cops, like you said, are trying to take care of us, the citizens. And, and we're, we're, seeing, we're seeing, though, um, still these, these prosecutors getting elected. I mean, look, look what just happened in yeah. New York uh, with the, the uh, election of Bragg, who is as crazy as they come, well, he's on a par with Gascon and Chesa Bowden when it comes down to his radical anti-criminal justice agenda. So, right. so well, the, the some public... of this is going to take um, voter reform too. Like the the, I mean, you're you're a formerly East Coast guy. You know the voting system in New York. It's really weird. So it doesn't. It didn't take what twenty eight percent of the vote to get Bragg elected as the Manhattan DA. That's got to change. Well, you know, and there, what uh, the the reality is that that these district attorneys, they are bulletproof when it comes down to any sanctions against them. They can commit any type of misconduct, and you can't remove them. There's no mechanism in place uh, to remove these district attorneys. I had the the head of the district attorneys, uh, the United States the president of this district attorney's association on this show. And I, I asked him, how do you guys police yourselves when you have <laughs> radical agenda driven district attorneys who refuse to prosecute? How do you remove them? And he said, we don't, you can't remove them. They're put there by the voter. The only thing you can do with them, unless they, unless they, you know, do a, some type of criminal misconduct, um, is uh, is diselect them at the end of their term, so right. th that talk about a, ch a change that needs to be made. You have state legislators that are that are trying to enact the most radical laws that govern policing that that I've ever that you can't even conceive of. State of Washington is one of them, and um, in fact, we're going to talk about this in the state of Washington, and when we're when we're when we're done with this topic. But yet you don't hear a whisper about district attorney reform when it comes down to the reality. They're the ones who need reform. Well, exactly. And what we found in our poll is that voters said, most of them said, look, we need a mechanism. And some states have this where a governor or the state attorney general can remove a uh, an overly uh, in other words remove a prosecutor who won't do their job and and our respondents said look we cannot sacrifice public safety at the altar of social justice and that's exactly what some of these prosecutors doing our respondents also said that if a prosecutor won't prosecute a case they believe the crime victim should be able to sue that prosecutor you know cops can get sued for almost anything but prosecutors, you can't sue them. But our respondents in our Rasmussen poll say, you know what? You should be able to sue prosecutors as well if they refuse to prosecute crimes. I, I'll tell you what, this, is a, this could be a game changer because those prosecutors are elected officials and they need to stop listening to their far left parties and start listening to their constituents who want to go outside 
and be safe and go shopping without looking at shoplifters and they want to drive their cars around without getting carjacked and uh, seeing people doing drugs on the street, needles hanging out of their arms, all that. People want a normal life back and uh, hopefully we'll see the tide turn. I, I think the only things that the these uh, district attorneys um, the, of, the, of the progressive bent listen to is the sound of the coins dropping into their purses from uh, uh, people like George Soros. I think that's right, the sound. Exactly. I think that's the only sound that they're interested in in hearing. Yeah. But so let's let's talk about this. Um, it's, right, it's right on topic with the n- number of officers who've been shot. Um, just uh, just days ago, there was two. There were two officers shot in um, in a rural area of Washington. And um, I'm going to pull this up. Okay, this is from. Uh, this is from the Police Tribune. Um, two deputies in uh, Whatcom County. They uh, they were responding to a neighbor complaint. Now you you and I know that disturbance calls are part of the everyday occurrences of every law enforcement officer in this country. This particular one, what the the call they were coming out on, was a neighbor dispute, and the dispute was over one neighbor burning leaves in his yard and some of the smoke going over the, the the boundary line, if you will, of the second neighbor. So the second neighbor apparently has been drinking beer all day and he's drunk as a lord, comes out and starts cursing at the, at the neighbor who's burning his leaves, tells him to stop burning the leaves. And probably like all of us would do, the uh, that homeowner basically came out with an expletive regarding that request. <laughs> and so the, the drunk guy goes back into his house, comes out with a 12-gauge shotgun, and starts pointing, pointing it at the neighbor and then shooting up in the air. So now we have gunfire. So the, the police are called. So when the officers got there, they were actually waiting for additional units when the suspect, I, I got this from, uh, from the sheriff earlier today, um, uh, came out and, and the officers saw him uh, with the shotgun, gave him an order to drop it. He didn't. Instead, he opened fire on them, hitting both of them in the head. Now, thank God, he only had it loaded with birdshot, which can still kill you. But sure. the but the size of the of the pellets was small, but it put both these deputies down, and now they wow. are literally in the driveway, um, and be, the, and it looked like the, the suspect was going to come finish them off when two neighbors emerged from their homes after seeing this, one with an AR-15, one with a handgun, and a third neighbor came out. And basically, these the, the two armed neighbors laid down cover fire while the third neighbor rescued the officers and dragged them to safety. So wow. then a, a standoff and they eventually got the guy in custody. But think of think of the scene, Betsy. I mean, think of the bedlam, yeah. um, how we could have had two more fatal, you know, deputies, uh, you know, deputy shootings if it weren't for these neighbors. 
Yeah, I just want to, I want to go there and hug those neighbors. That just, that warms my heart. And it also just brings tears to my eyes that, that those three people would get their own weapons, get ready, come out and lay cover fire for those officers who need to be rescued. And then they rescue them. This is an episode of Cops, Randy. This is crazy. And, and, uh, and I'm so, um, hardened, uh, about how those community members, I mean, we were just talking about how community members need to stand up for us. That's about as stand up as you can get. You could bet, uh, you, you bet on that one. Well, <laughs> you, may, you may get your wish if you want to, because um, I spoke to the sheriff uh, just, uh, just today to let him know that the Wounded Blue um, was uh, uh, going to meet with his officers with his permission and give each of those officers some financial help while they're negotiating this injury. And, yeah. uh, and at the same time, I'm going to try and see if I can't meet with those three good Samaritans at the same time. Oh, yes. Absolutely. That is just, you know, those, those three citizens need to be commended and lauded and everybody needs to know who they are because that's why, and, you know, we talk about, you know, the Second Amendment and citizens', citizens rights to own firearms. There's one of the big reasons why citizens need to own and train with their own firearms. Because now, you know, here you got a crazy drunk guy who's shot two cops and who's in a rural area of any state, who's going to come very quickly? So you have three citizens who stand up and say, you know what? It's our neighborhood. Those are our deputies, and we're going to take matters into our own hand. And that's that's just extraordinary. Those people it are is. amazing. It is. It is. Well, you know, as as part of the Wounded Blue, once again, um, we have developed a Citizens Award for Valor, and I think that uh, these three are well deserving of that of that particular Absolutely. award. Absolutely. So that's uh, I think that's the direction we're going to go as an organization. Americans, we seek to form a more perfect union. To paraphrase Abraham Lincoln, we are a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And God willing, we shall not perish from the earth. AmericaOutloud.com Liberty and justice for all. It's time to rethink COVID disinfection. A study by Harvard, Drexel, and Virginia Tech concluded, we don't have a single documented case of COVID transmission through surfaces. The reality is that COVID spreads mainly through the air. Shared air is the problem, not shared surfaces. The solution is the Genesis Fogger, which uses natural HOCL to disinfect both air and surfaces simultaneously. It's perfect for home or business. NIH says HOCL may well be the disinfectant of choice for coronaviruses. There's nothing more natural or more effective. Genesis fogs at the precise particle size to combat COVID and other harmful pathogens. It's what's missing from your disinfecting protocol. Visit genesisfogger.com. 
America Out Loud listeners receive a 15% discount with promo code OUTLOUD at genesisfogger.com slash OUTLOUD. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep can be infuriating. Your mind races. You toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's digital age makes it even harder. You're not alone with this struggle. Poor sleep affects over 70% of Americans. Even the Centers for Disease Control label insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. To take back your sleep, Healthy Cell has created REM Sleep, the only sleep supplement made to support all four stages of human sleep with calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support delivered in a patent-pending, pill-free, ultra-absorption microgel formula that tastes great. Fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM Sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. But the war on cops is real. And we're seeing it on every level. It's not just a shooting war. It's the, the societal issues. It's the political issues. Everything seems to revolve around branding the police as out of control, brutal racists. And this is the narrative that has to be combated if we are to, if we are to get back to some sense of normalcy when it comes down to the public safety. And this seems, you know, Betsy, to me, uh, this, is a, this is an uphill battle at this point. Although I think we're seeing um, some changes. In fact, let's talk about a couple of those uh, based on some news stories that came out um, just this week. Um, let's talk about Detroit. This is out of the Detroit news. Detroit area officials urge more funding for police recruitment and training. Officials point to an increase in violent crime in specific counties and across the state in recent years. Uh, local and state leaders advocated money for continued support for law enforcement. That's an interesting change, isn't it? Uh, they were calling on other elected officials to increase funding for police to allow for better recruitment and better training. And this is what uh, State Senator Jim Runstead said. It's really important we get the word out with what's happening across the state and nation with law enforcement. And um, th I, I find that, that this is, you know, a little bit of light in, in the dark, if you will, that they are calling for not defunding, but more funding. Yeah, and this trend has been going on very quietly for about really about the last eight months or so and and now even even nancy pelosi is trying to back away from the defund the police narrative now the 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 problem that you know and of course let's not forget we have a a, a huge election coming up in november and the defund the police movement has uh, shown to be very unpopular with almost all voters. So the Democrat Party is going to try and back away from it. Um, and as these mayors, and you're seeing Mayor London Breed in San Francisco, you're seeing the mayor of um, uh, Washington, D.C., uh, the mayor in uh, Portland, the mayor in Seattle, even the mayor in my native Chicago, 
they're trying to put more money back into their police departments. And so that is some good news. The problem that you and I know is that even if every one of those police departments hired a thousand cops tomorrow, it would be about a year for most of those people that they hired to be a working trained police officer um, in a patrol car. But you know, and this is the thing, I want people to understand just because you have a politician who says, oh, you know, that whole defund the police thing, we didn't mean that. Um, doesn't <laughs> yeah. mean that the minute they're reelected, um, they're, they're going to, uh, they're, they're going to go ahead and uh, be pro police. And then we have that arm of the Democrat party, the, the squad that, you know, with AOC and Cori Bush and all their friends, um, Ilhan Omar, one of the most, you know, anti-police, uh, legislators out there, they are doubling and tripling down on the defund the police narrative and uh and that's going to affect it's not just going to affect cops but it's really going to affect our citizens randy we had five thousand more dead americans last year than the year before from homicide that's, that's, in, that's insane it's crazy and you know so it's not just more dead cops it's dead citizens and so many of them are children especially in these large urban centers children are being you know either accidentally or sometimes purposely shot in these gang shootings and and oh, wait you a minute know, you can't, and we're not allowed to say gang i know right that's <laughs> racist racist <laughs> well i know and we're not you know this is the thing in fact i gotta tell you there's a great uh, book that just came out uh, this week called The Blue Divide by a, a Texas cop who left, got a PhD, his name's Wilmer Abbott. And and he he took all the policing statistics of policing and race and all that, and he, he put it all down in a book and talks about some of the different most infamous cases. And, and he's trying to get that false narrative changed. He's trying to get the facts out there and that's what i wish our politicians would do and i wish our police chiefs and sheriffs would do police leadership needs to stand side by side with our citizens and support law enforcement and help stop this violent crime wave once and for all because we know how to do it we just need to do it right exactly the you know we we can look back on history and look upon what has been successful what has not been successful? And um, it's just shocking to me that the, the, the blueprint for making one of the, you know, making one of the largest, the largest city in the United States um, safe again after, after decades of, of increasing violent crime, of course, occurred under the Giuliani administration. And the, the, the you know, the many uh, innovative techniques that were utilized, but what it really came down to was holding people accountable for their crimes. That's all it was. Exactly. And it's not, it literally is not rocket science. And yet we, although we've seen it demonstrated, you don't hear anyone, uh, in the, in the political leadership of this, of this country, even remotely talking about it. Uh, so, uh, so anyway, but uh, here's the other part about this. So the, this, uh, you know, in Detroit, officials, you know, are talking about 
you know, putting, throwing more money at the, at the problem. But I was just uh, in Michigan attending the Michigan Chiefs of Police Association uh, as, as one of their speakers. And I heard their, uh, their lobbyist talking about the number of bills that are trying to be passed, which are as, about as radical as they, are, as they could get, um, similar to Illinois and the state of Washington, uh, which would severely inhibit the ability of law enforcement to do its job. So on one side of the coin, you have some politicians saying, hey, let's give these guys some more money. And on the other hand, you have other state legislators who are trying to limit the ability of the police to police. So, you know, we're, we're still we're still we're still at this. We're not coming together yet um, to uh, to really solve this problem. But, you know, another, on another, you know, little brighter scale. And this is, uh, I know, a topic that um, you and I talked about previously, and you have some personal knowledge of this, but uh, in, uh, this is out of the Spokesman Review in Spokane, Washington. Police applications nearly double at Washington PD compared to 2019. Spokane, Spokane police, the city officials called the renewed interest, quote, heartening, unquote. After interest waned in recent years, Spokane Police Department saw a surge of applicants in 2021. Though the number still falls short of historic norms, police leaders are proud of the renewed interest. Department saw 762 applications from aspiring officers taking the public safety test in 2021 compared to just 414 in 2019. The recruitment report published by the police excluded 2020 to avoid any potential abnormalities caused by COVID. So think of that number though. Okay, so they're, they're crowing about 762 applicants over a year's time, a year's time. I know that when I took the police test for Las Vegas Metro PD, um, there were probably 2,000 or 2,500 applicants for the position. But so, but why do you think that Spokane is seeing at least somewhat of an uptick in applicants? Right. Well, the, here's the thing, and we we my husband and I train at the Spokane Sheriff's Academy, and we love the Spokane area is so beautiful, and it's kind of right on the Idaho border. And here's the thing: people in uh, the north side of you know on the north side of Washington State, they're dealing with Seattle and crazy Mayor Jenny, and then all, all of a sudden, and you know, and then understand Washington State has probably the most radical leftist governor. Um, in this country, and that's saying a lot. So a lot of the cops are leaving Seattle and that area, and they are also leaving California and other areas where they are not appreciated, and they're going to Spokane. The last time we were there at the academy, we got to chatting with uh, a bunch of police officers who were uh, applying and doing their interviews with the Spokane County Sheriff's Department, and uh, they were almost all from California, largely California Highway Patrol. And they all said the same thing. We want to get our families out of California. We want to move to an area that is pro-police, that's pro-family, uh, that's pro-Second Amendment. And that is Spokane and Spokane County. And you're going to see more of this, Randy, um, around the country. 
And this, the sad thing is, is we're going to have what I believe is going to be kind of a regional, um, safe, regional safe zones all, almost, where people are going to be able to live without, you know, with good police departments who are going to be able to have good prosecutors take care of criminals. And unfortunately, you're going to have areas like Seattle, Portland, uh, parts of New York, Chicago, Austin, Texas, where you've got the combination of weak police leadership, progressive prosecutors, anti-police legislators, and crime is just going to continue to rise and rise and rise. And people who can't afford to leave are going to be stuck and they're going to be controlled by the gangs. They're going to be controlled by the criminals. They're not going to be able to just go and enjoy a day of shopping or just out walk around their neighborhoods. And it's really, if, it's go if we don't stop it, we need to, you know, it's, it's going to be sad. So people need to vote with their safety. And that's one of the things that, that America really needs to wake up to. Absolutely. Talking about Los Angeles, <clears throat> there's a, um, a mayoral election. And this headline came out of the Los Angeles Times. Los Angeles mayoral candidate says he'd hire 1,500 more cops. The LAPD has about 9,500 officers, which is 200 below its authorized staffing level. So uh, this, uh, if elected mayor Rick Caruso said Monday, he wants to add 1,500 officers to the Los Angeles Police Department and promise to put his businesses in a blind trust to avoid potential conflicts of interest. In his first interview with the Times since he entered the race last week, Caruso, the billionaire developer, offered the first details of how he would seek to govern the city. So it's kind of interesting that the that a mayoral candidate in Los Angeles, where we have seen, um, you know, just the, the the most progressive, idiotic policies put in place against law enforcement, uh, suddenly, uh, you know, is is, is coming out with a very interesting platform of basically adding, you know, another tw almost was almost 20 percent uh, more uh, to the police department. Interesting, is it not? Well, and remember, when L.A. first decided to defund the police department, they had to cut their homicide unit. They cut a lot of their community policing programs. They had to cut the number of officers on patrol. And of course, what happened in Los Angeles? Homicide skyrocketed. You, we all get to see the high-end retail thefts that are happening in some of the, some of the nicer areas. And uh, so now you have a Democrat who says, uh, I'm gonna support my police if you elect me mayor. And you know, you know, traditionally, when you and I were younger, um, Democrats were pretty pro-police back in the day and, you know, especially pro-union cops. So I think even the Democrats, even though none of this should be political, unfortunately it is, even the Democrats are realizing, you know what, A, people's safety is important and B, only the police can deal with a lot of these issues. And so this mayoral candidate, and I really appreciate what he's doing, is going to put more money into his police department so that they can get the job done. Because L.A. is dealing with not just rampant crime, but um, rampant uh, homelessness. And that is, is ramping up more violent crime. There is down on Skid Row in L.A., 
there are just constant sexual assaults on homeless women. There's child abuse, you know, not not to mention all of the rampant use of drugs and things like that. You just can't go there anymore. And the cops are trying to deal with it all. And uh, and they're having a tough time. So I, I hope he gets elected and does what he says. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's if he does what he says. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so talking about talking about L.A. So you have two huge police agencies, the LAPD and the L.A. Sheriff's Department. So the, the sheriff there, um, this is, uh, you know, Sheriff Villanueva. He's been a strong proponent. He's a, he's a strong leader. And one he of the is. things that he has said is uh, the, these vaccine mandates, I'm not going along with them. So as a result of that, even though, of course, the cases of COVID are, are falling away like, uh, you know, like, like, like dandruff on my shoulders. Oh, that wasn't a good analogy. Um, <laughs> this, was, this is the headline. Los Angeles County lawmakers are positioning themselves to start firing L.A. County Sheriff's Department employees who don't comply with its vaccine mandates. And the sheriff says they could fire up to 4,000 department employees. 4,000 department employees over these ludicrous overstepping of the bounds of, of government, forcing um, public safety officers uh, or, or and, well, and any employee basically to stick a needle into themselves full of, full of a vaccine that they don't want. And, and the sheriff who stood up for him, he's now being, being basically pushed aside by the, by the county commission. It's insane. It truly is. And this, this is the thing. Law enforcement, we never got, you know, we weren't sitting on the couch um, when the lockdown happened. What was law enforcement doing? We were out and about doing what cops do. You know, there were still domestics and thefts and homicides and everything in between. So we were out there during COVID when there was no vaccine. Then the vaccine came and that's a personal choice whether to get vaccinated or not. And now... Really, the COVID's about over. Even Joe Biden is about to announce that. We've had even the most far left areas of the country are saying, you know what, well, we're getting away from the mask, we're getting away from the vax mandates. But you know what this is, Randy? This has nothing to do with coronavirus, I believe. This is a way for Los Angeles and Los Angeles County to defund the police further and get rid of more cops and police personnel without actually saying that that's what they're doing. And I think that's what, I know that's what was happening in Chicago when uh, Mayor Maury, Lori Lightfoot wanted to fire all of her cops who weren't vaccinated. COVID-19 was a serious issue for this country, but that was two years ago and it's over and we've got to let cops and nurses and doctors and everybody else go out, do their job, make their own personal choices. And we now know with the vaccine that it appears that whether you're vaccinated or not, you're probably going to get the Omicron variant. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, we, we all know everybody's going to get it. I would guess most of the cops in L.A. and L.A. County have probably had coronavirus. And uh, so let's let them do their jobs. But there's more to this than just 
the COVID vaccine, I believe. And again, voters, people in our in these cities and counties need to stand and say, enough is enough. Let my cops go do their jobs. Yeah, it's insane. Uh, well, then again, we saw it with, uh, with the military too. Uh, one of the most uh, telling stories that I, uh, I saw was a uh, fighter pilot guy who, you know, he's a senior fighter pilot. And, you know, you, th those skills, they don't come overnight. You don't just plug in another pilot, right? Um, they were going to fight there. In fact, I don't know if they did, but he was facing being terminated and given a dishonorable discharge after like 19 years uh, serving his country because he didn't want to get a vaccine. What this is another right. irrational response. I mean, when did the adults leave the room? That's what I want to know. Well, and of course, this all goes back to when did the universities go far left and and who's now making these decisions and and things like that. I mean, we truly live in, a, in an illogical world right now where, uh, you know, truckers are villains and uh, people who shoot cops are heroes. I mean, it's just we're living in upside down land. And you know what? If these politicians want to keep their uh, their cops and their firefighters safe from coronavirus, give everyone a prescription for ivermectin and allow them time on duty to be able to work out and put healthy food in the vending machines in all of their stations. We now know how to fight coronavirus. And that is by controlling our weight, controlling our blood pressure, staying healthy. And then we, wow, two years later, we have medications that can help cure it. Let's make sure that our first responders have those medications like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and zinc and all of those things that they have monoclonal antibodies. How about if we make that available, uh, those infusions to any first responder who gets coronavirus? But no, we've got to talk about masks and vaccines, even though, as we saw at the Super Bowl in L.A., nobody's wearing their mask. So, yeah, it's gotten silly. And the, the American public just needs to stand and say, enough. Let's deal with real issues. You know, um, a story came out of New Orleans. You know, we were talking about the defunding the police. And, you know, with, with all of this, with all of this war on cops, we've seen um, a tremendous diminishment of the number of people that even, you know, are willing to go take a test for the job. Um, well, New Orleans, it seems to be um, in, a, in a major, having a major issue now. This is um, uh, out of Fox News. New Orleans Police Union President blasts progressive politicians for surging violent crime and dwindling Police force, president of the Police Association of New Orleans, blasted the city for its progressive political agenda and says its policies have resulted in a record-breaking crime surge. Uh, president uh, Captain Mike Glazer shared a copy of his January 18th letter to the New Orleans City Council on Facebook. It's currently operating, this is, this is incredible, currently operating at just 60% of staffing um, levels. And that number is quickly falling, the captain wrote. 
A whopping 150 police officers left New Orleans PD last year, with many leaving due to the progressive politicians, whose only true agenda is their own incumbency, he said. A record-breaking 232 homicides occurred, which amounts to one homicide every 38 hours. And for the, for the new year, those numbers are even higher, with 14 homicides in the first 16 days. So here you have, I mean, it's a, it's a, big, it's a big city. And can you imagine, they're only at 60% and they can't hire. Nobody's coming, nobody's right. coming to take the job. Well, and what does that lead to, Randy? That leads to tired cops, uh, you know, who are working too many shifts. Um, that, and that can lead to other issues, whether it's relationship issues or mental health issues. You know, don't forget, like a month ago, we had a cop in New York who was trying to catch a nap in his patrol car between shifts because they're so short-handed. And he ended up getting shot in his personal car. So now you've got in New Orleans and many other cities like them, you've got exhausted cops. They're obviously dealing with violent crime. If you're having a homicide every 38 hours, you need somebody to investigate that. And don't forget too, it's not just cops leaving, police dispatchers are leaving and they're going to those areas like Spokane, Washington, who is going to appreciate them. Um, there's not so much crime. And, uh, and this is really reaching a crisis, not just for law enforcement. Remember, law enforcement, we're not a business. We're not out there making money. We're, our whole job is to protect our community. So these things that affect us affect the citizens we are trying to protect. And it's getting tough. And you and I talk about this all the time where we have young people reach out to us and say, hey, you know, I was thinking about being a cop or we have somebody's <laughs> parents reach out to us and said, yeah, my kid wants to be a cop and I don't know if I should encourage it or not. And so we are reaching this recruiting crisis. I mean, look at what, you know, you talk about this all the time, what happened in St. Louis a couple of months ago. Nobody showed up to become a St. Louis yeah. cop. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, kind of like you know, if, if a tree falls in a forest, did, did, did it... Did it make any sound? Or did if if nobody shows up for a police test, did they even give one? You know, it's <laughs> exactly. exactly. And yet, and I wonder, you know, like when you look at an area like St. Louis, you know, just Corey Bush, part of the squad, who is extremely anti-cop and pro-defund the police, who does she think is going to protect her constituents? Now, she herself has hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of private security, so she's just fine. Um, even though her car did get shot up, but, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, she, uh, who's going to protect her citizens? So is she going to ask the federal police to come and protect her citizens, the county police? So we're going to, we're going to, this shortage is going to get worse and affect more and more people unless we get a handle on it. And the American public needs to get a handle on it by doing things like you said, breaking their silence and standing up for us, and then voting in and supporting candidates who are pro-police and anti-criminal. Exactly. You know, yesterday I was asked, I was doing a national radio show, and I was asked if this current crisis with the uh, retention of officers and recruitment, if it's going to lead to um, a, um, a lowering of the standards to become a cop. 
And you and I both know from years and years of studying police misconduct and corruption issues that when, when standards are lowered for political purposes, whether it's for, you know, attracting one group or another, as we saw in, in Miami in the 80s, um, what we see is a crisis waiting to happen, but a crisis of misconduct and corruption. So if you don't yep. keep the standards high and, and recruit people who should be cops, then you have the diminishment of the field of, of, um, of possibilities. And then you see agencies lowering the standards, which is a crisis waiting to happen. Well, it really is, but you know, we're not going to get uh, anybody who wants to apply. And so now instead of, oh, have you ever done drugs? It's going to be, have you ever done drugs this week? <laughs> exactly, and, um, right. You know, has it been, have you ever been convicted of a felony? It's going to be, how many felonies have you been arrested for? Um, it's going, and it's going to be sad. And we're and and with the lowering of, of, I guess we could call it ethical standards, often comes the lowering of physical standards as well. And sure. then we have police officers who aren't physically or tactically capable of doing the job. And again, who does that endanger? doesn't just endanger cops, it endangers our citizens who are asking for and need fit, ethical cops to do their jobs. Well, you know, it seems like we've, uh, we could talk about this all day as we often do, but we're running out of time. I need to get to the end of the segment where we uh, honor our fallen. But Betsy, thanks so much for joining me again here on The Voice for American Law Enforcement. I love your viewpoints. Uh, you're, you're, you're so good at what you do, and it's always a pleasure to do, a, do another podcast with you. Thanks, Randy, so much. I'm always happy to be here with you and, and talk to our citizens as well as our brothers and sisters in policing. Fantastic. So at this, at this uh, before I, I get into the, um, the end of watch segment, uh, I'm asking you to do this. I'm asking you to support the Wounded Blue, the National Assistance and Support Organization for Injured and Disabled Law Enforcement Officers. You can do it several ways. One, you can go to our website and donate there. You can go and see what we're all about, but you can also text. Text, I love, and I love this. This is a great way to learn about our organization and get notified about when we got special events coming up. There's a little video on there that tells you about who we are and what we do, and you can communicate with us. And if you're an officer, you can actually get help from us there. 870-8100-911, um, and then just text in the word blue. You'll see a little screen come up, hit exchange contact, and you're part of the Wounded Blue. So check it out, it's on the screen. If you're listening to this on America Out Loud uh, or uh, iHeartRadio, I'm gonna say it again, it's 877-8100-911. Text in the word blue and then exchange contact. Support the Wounded Blue. At this point, um, I. I read the names of officers who've given their lives in the line of duty this week. The first is police officer John Mestis of the Double Oak Police Department in Texas. Police officer John Mestis died as a result of contracting COVID-19 in the line of duty. Officer Mestis was a veteran of both the United States Army and the United States Air Force Reserves. 
He had served with the Double Oaks Police for just three months and 15 years with the Hillsborough Police Department, um, also for the Tarrant County Hospital District Police Department. Uh, he was survived by his wife and four children. Police Officer John Mestis, Double Oak Police Department, Texas, end of watch Monday, February 7th, 2022. Correctional Officer Braxton Hoffman, Lake County Sheriff's Office, South Dakota. Correctional Officer Braxton Hoffman died as a result of contracting COVID-19 in the line of duty. Officer Hoffman has served Lake County Sheriff's for two years, previously served with the Minnehaha County Sheriff's Office and the Brookings County Sheriff's Office. He is survived by his parents and three brothers. Correctional Officer Braxton Hoffman, Lake County Sheriff's Office, South Dakota. End of watch, Monday, February 7th, 2022. And Officer James McWhorter of the Florida Department of Agriculture, Office of Agricultural Law Enforcement in Florida. Officer James McWhorter was killed in a vehicle crash near the Agricultural Inspection Station in Yulee, Florida. He was crossing from the northbound inspection station to the southbound when his vehicle was struck by an oncoming pickup truck at about 8.30 p.m. All the occupants of the truck suffered non-fatal injuries. Officer McWhorter served the Florida Department of Agriculture and Law Enforcement for two and a half years. He's survived by his four children and fiance. Officer James McWhorter, Florida Department of Agricultural Consumer Services, Agricultural Law Enforcement, Florida. End of watch, Saturday, February 12th, 2022. Each of these officers gave their lives in the line of duty. So that's about it for us today. If you want to contact me, you can find me on Facebook at The Voice of American Law Enforcement. Uh, you can also connect with me at randy at thewoundedblue.org. If you want to get more information about The Wounded Blue, uh, www.thewoundedblue.org, thewoundedblue.org. And if you want to uh, talk about uh, issues on this, uh, on this show and you want to send me some suggestions, feel free to use that, web, that website, or, which has a contact form on it, or um, email me directly, randy at thewoundedblue.org. This is Randy Sutton, and uh, thanks again for joining me here at The Voice for American law enforcement, both uh, on radio at americaoutloud.com, podcast at americaoutloud.com, and also on YouTube. Thanks again. One, 11, one,